Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you've joined me for this episode of Teach Me to Talk. Today we're going to be talking about something that I think is so critical for us as early intervention therapists and pediatric speech language pathologists to share with families, and it's different ways that we can target <laughs> and maximize our time or target target our our focus while we're doing everyday activities. And so I've talked a lot about this on the show. We've talked about ideas for the taking a bath, ideas for snacks and meals, ideas for dressing, those kinds of things. But today we're talking about something that I've never talked about before, and it's ideas that you can use in the car. And since it's back to school time with September 1st, all of us, with little kids, and that would, I guess I should say all of you with little kids, since I don't have little kids anymore, and I'm not a grandmother yet, (laughs) but we all spend lots of time in the car this time of year, and so parents, this is kind of um, a no-brainer when we're thinking about ways that we can get them to use the ideas and recommendations that we're making, first of all, because they're fun, and I think this gets lots of parents excited, like, yeah, I can really use this time. It's not just checkout time for kids, which is what happens a lot, and that's not necessarily bad, but so many parents are just busy, 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 and they need really practical ideas for things they're doing with their kid anyway. And another reason these kinds of games work is because the child is contained. <laughs> parents are having to chase him around or beg him to come play. He is right there in that car seat, in the back seat, while they're riding, so it sort of makes it an ideal time. And the third reason that these kinds of games are so important uh, is because it's something parents do every day. It's routine. And so when we can tie a language activity into something a parent is going to do, it will automatically trigger the likelihood that they'll actually remember to do it. And again, I'm not slamming busy parents here. We all are busy, and we all have good intentions with things that we really, really mean to do, like going to the gym or doing housework that's not an everyday requirement, like doing the baseboards or something like that. We mean to do it. We think about doing it, but we just never really get around to it. And so you can end up like, you know, you think, I'm going to do this on Saturday, and then you don't do it. And the next Saturday comes around, and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I still didn't do that. I had all week. I said I was going to do it during that time, and here another week has gone by, and I haven't done it. So when we can tie a language activity that we've talked a lot to a parent about how to do it, you can't just really say to a parent, hey, when you're in the car, I think you should play imitation games. They're going to have no idea what you're even talking about. And if they try and kind of come up with it on their own and it's not successful, what do they feel like? You know, it's kind of like wah, wah, you know. <laughs> that was a, just a total waste of my time. Why am I going to do it if it if I'm not seeing any positive outcomes here? So we have to really talk to parents about when to do it and why we do it and more importantly, how to do it. And so we have to really show them. Now, I'm not advocating that you actually get in the car with a family and do it, but 
<laughs> you should be modeling this well enough and talking to a parent about it in, in, with enough detail that they get what you mean so that they can follow through. What you might want to do too is these ideas are all from two posts that, I've, that I posted in August at teachmetotalk.com called Car Games for Late Talkers. There's a part one and a part two, and I think they're on top right now. I don't think I've written anything since then. So you can go to teachmetotalk.com and print the written versions of these and take them to a parent if you're seeing, doing a home visit or if they're coming to see you in your office or your school. And you'll have those ideas there so that you can share with them and say, hey, these, you know, these are some things I want to think about and let's do this, these kinds of activities here today. I want you to read through this. And I'm, again, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to model it for you. But my purpose here is for you to be able to carry through with this in the car. And you know, one way that we really increase again, the likelihood that a parent follows through is that we say, and I'm going to ask you about it next time. <laughs> so I want you to let me know what worked, what didn't work, what we need to refine next session. So that, that's what I want you to do this week is really experiment and see how far you got, what kinds of things worked. Now today we're going to be talking about six of these little games. And there's some different variations. I'm saying six activities, but Again, within the, within the context of each of these different activities, there will be variations, probably more like 10 activities. And so that's what you'll say. To, well, here's, here's my point about this. Every game or every variation will not be relevant for every child. You'll have children who are at higher developmental levels that you'll need to go to sort of these games at the end that we'll talk about. You'll have kids that are really, really just beginning even to be developmentally ready for some of the games that we're talking about. And so every single game is not for every single kid. But here's the kicker about these games. I bet that you can think of a way to use these and develop these for a family routine for every kid on your caseload because there is great leeway with how we can modify an activity. And I hope that you're doing that already as SLPs and other, other kinds of therapists, that you're taking an idea and you don't just leave it you know, and think, Oh, well, this is how we do it. And I hope that you're more creative than that. <laughs> I hope that you can take a good idea and tweak it and make it your own. And actually, you know, what might happen is that it might might be a little different from family to family or from kid to kid, depending on what works. And certainly parents will do that. If you're a mom or dad listening, you know, you might take this idea just as a, a launching board, a, a jump start for you. You know, you might try one of these things and it didn't work, but you do something else that's sort of related, and aha, you've come up with a great routine for your toddler. And you may not have thought about it had you not been actively seeking out new ideas. So if you're a parent listening to the show for that very purpose, I am so proud of you. Let me just cheer you on. If nobody has said that to you lately, you are doing a great job. <laughs> if you are taking the time to listen to a speech therapy show like this and to be committed enough, again, to stick through the whole hour and read and get information and try your best to do what, what you know to do at home. Again, if I could hug you right now and give you a big pat on the back and a big fist bump, high five, whatever you want to do, that's what I would do because you are doing a great job. Not all parents are like this. And certainly we therapists can attest to that because we work with families and sometimes we just think, Mom, if you could just attend a little bit better, if you could just get your head in the game, 
this could make all the difference for your kid. You know, if I could just beg you <laughs> to try to take some of these recommendations and implement them, I know we'd see a big, big difference. But if you're a parent listening to the show, you're already so far beyond that because, again, you're taking the time to get new ideas, and certainly you're not listening without implementing ideas. Certainly you're not doing that. And you, you are cream of the crop as parents. So therapists take this kind of as a little heads up too. If you have if you have parents of children on your caseloads and they are just rocking it and just superstars and working with their kids, you need to tell them that because your word of encouragement at the right time may be everything to them. And parents have told me that over and over and over. Parents of kids that I've worked with, you know, years ago, they're four and five now and way past Laura, <laughs> way too old, you know, for me, seven or eight. And they'll say, you know, I just want to, I was thinking about you today, or they, you know, might leave a post on Facebook or any, you know, I'm running to them or whatever. And they say, I just want you to, I just want you to know how much you would say your encouragement meant to me and how you would tell me that I was doing a good job because a lot of times parents just feel totally guilty when they're parenting a late talking toddler. They feel like this delay is my fault or, sometimes the freaky things they do or think, think, and again, we're all like this. We all sometimes, that chain between cause and effect is non-existent, and we blame ourselves for things that aren't our fault. And so sometimes when we say to a parent, man, you were doing such a good job, I wish I could just clone you and put you in all these other homes where parents aren't as into this as, as you are, and I, I just want to tell you that I so admire you and I so respect your commitment to your child. Those well-timed words can make all the difference for parents. So that will be a little challenge this week, that in addition to modeling these games and showing, teaching parents new ideas for what they can do for the car, see how many words of encouragement you can pass out. See what you can do. And, and even when you have parents that are not rocking it, when they're not rock stars, when they're not, not doing what you know they're capable of doing, that might be a way you sort of kind of get a pep top talk going to and saying, listen, you were just right on the verge of making a big, big difference for your kid. You were just right there. Let me show you what this little next level is. I think you're ready. I think you can do it. And again, it makes a big, big difference. All right, so let's talk about these specific ideas. And again, one reason I did these posts and then the show is because I get emails from parents who say, who ask me these questions, and they'll say things like, we spend a lot of time in the car. And they'll say, you know, we have to wait on, we, I've got two older kids and we're always waiting outside soccer or cheerleading or brownies or church or whatever sport they're into. And, man, that's just 15 minutes every day that I could use. Do you, have you got any ideas for me? So that's, that's the origination for these ideas. So let's talk about the very first idea, and I call it listen, 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 and here's why. Many, many times late talkers are more vocal in the car than anywhere else, and if you're a therapist, I'm sure you've heard parents say that. They'll say, you know, you're talking to them about, you know, I'm not hearing very much noise here. Tell me the sounds that he makes. Do you ever hear any words? And a parent will say, well, you know, the, his his chattiest time is when we're riding in the car. Sometimes it's the movement of the car, and that really 
settles a kid down enough, so especially busy kids, where they sort of get to the point where they think, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm still enough here. Or let's say they're still enough, and then mom notices, actually, he's trying to talk more. He might have been running a million miles a minute all day every day at home, and mom can't slow him down, so she really doesn't notice. She really can't hear all that he's trying to say. It could also be a concept that Pam Marshalla talked about in a book that I read years and years ago called Vocal Contagion, it's kind of crowd noise. And so that means that other kids are in the car, or let's say kids are in the car, they're all talking, they're all having a big time, all anxious for the floor to tell mom what's happened that day at school, or sharing something with mom, and the radio's on. And so there's lots and lots of noise there. And a lot of times late talkers get kind of turned on or stimulated by that. You know, it really facilitates them wanting to jump in there and be loud too. And that's exactly what we need them to do is get noisy. Now, I'm writing a lot about this in the new book, that's, my new book that's coming out, hopefully, if we don't have any issues that prevent, but hopefully this month, let's talk about talking. And it's I've pulled it from the podcast series that I did last year, The 11 Skills That Toddlers Must Master Before Words Emerge. And so that's going to be in written form. And gosh, I've gotten oh tons and tons of emails saying, when are you going to put this in written form? This is good information. We need it. So I've taken that information, honed it, refined it, and giving you more activities than we even talked about on the podcast when I originally did the series. So it's so good sometimes to kind of let a topic grow and and marry, you know, just really kind of get good before you put it to on video or before you put it in written form. So that's that's going to come out. But these ideas again are from there, and you'll get to read about those and get some written versions before. All right, so. The vocal contagion thing, that really helps kids kind of get in the game and be noisy and be a little bit more motivated to vocalize there. It's kind of a no-pressure situation, too, versus when you have them in therapy and you're right in their face saying, you know, say it, say it, or tell me, tell me, you say you know, that sometimes that's so confrontational for kids and they can't do it. It's too much pressure. So when we introduce activities like these, it's it's just a little it's a little more relaxed and that pressure is off so that a kid feels maybe more comfortable or more motivated to try. So big advice to parents, this first game is listen, listen, listen. And so you tell parents, Listen, I I, I want you to I want you to pay close attention and Anything he tries to say, any sound he tries to make, I want you to repeat it. And this can be as as simple as him saying, uh. And a parent can say something like, uh, 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 and repeat it. And again, you might, oh, we're not matching that intonation exactly, but that's important to really kind of match it with the intensity, with, uh, meaning how effortful was it, was it quiet, was it loud, you know, the volume kind of part of that. Match it with the tone. If he's saying, oh, oh, you know, you really don't want to go, oh, oh, you could. I mean, that would might, might pique his attention. But at the same time, think about matching what he's saying and then really, really reinforce it. So that would be if it's a sound. Sometimes kids really try to do things what parents really will swear up and down all day is a word. And sometimes... 
most of the time I think they're right because the parents' instincts are really, really good and they know their kids better than we ever will. And so if they get to, if a parent says, well, you know, I think when we're at school, waiting on our my older kids, I think he's sort of trying to say bus because he says ba. And I know it's sort of off, but he says it all the time. And I really think that's what he's talking about. And so give a parent credit for that and say, fantastic, that's a word. Let's reinforce it. Who cares that the vowel sound is not completely accurate yet? So you tell a parent to listen for that word, and then when he says it, they should repeat it back. They should say, he says, ba, and you say, bus, yes. I know a song about the bus. Would you like to sing that song about the bus? And, again, they can talk about it. They don't have to lapse into song. We're going to talk about music in a minute. But certainly really reinforce the idea here is that we reinforce the kids' vocalization and then we tie it to something meaningful. So we give it that receptive language connection so that we're helping him understand, hey, what you said made sense. I got it. I know that you were trying to say bus. And so a parent is really talking about it. And really here, too, when you have little guys that are just starting to talk and they have so many word approximations, talk to parents about not overcorrecting. That is kind of the kiss of death with lots of toddlers. And I can see their little faces. They just feel so defeated. And, you know, sometimes it's because we as, you know, picky SLPs, you know, we're constantly thinking about, articulatory accuracy and those kinds of things. And so, it's you know, we, we might say in therapy, bah, ooh, bus, bus, and really try to bah, you know, get that vowel, let a kid do that auditory discrimination piece, hear the correct sound versus the sound that he said. And we know that technique is really effective, that recasting, you know, we say the what he should say instead of what he did say. But talk to parents about not making that punitive so that they're not really, really kind of getting on to a kid and overcorrecting a new talker because we should be doing the opposite. We should be reinforcing all of their attempts and giving them tons and tons of feedback and praise so that we really increase their motivation level and their ability to want to try again. And uh, this is what I started this comment with. Sometimes I can see a face of a little friend when a parent has overcorrected or, you know, when I've done it, shame on me, but I can see their little faces, and they look a little bit defeated. And, you know, sometimes we'll think, oh, kids, he doesn't understand that it's criticism. He yes, they do. They, their little feelings get hurt, too. That little emotional piece, that, that's wired into us from the beginning. So talk to parents about saying when you think he said a word and you are trying to give it meaning and assign uh, – a word-to-word -word correlation here, what he said to what word you think he's saying. Reinforce it, but don't say, oh, but honey, you said it wrong. You should have said bus, not ba. Really talk to parents about that. And, again, get them thinking about praise and positive feedback, and I want your kid to keep on trying so we're not going to do anything that might prohibit that or limit that for a child. All right, if you can't make out what a kid is trying to say but you think you know, again, go with it. Reinforce his attempts because that's really, really important. So the example I have in the article that I wrote at teachmetotalk.com about this is let's say that you're sitting in the van 
and you guys have just kind of been hanging out, and then all of a sudden he gets, you know, the little, your little toddler in the back seat gets so excited, and he just starts to babble and jabber away, and he starts to maybe even point, and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? And then you look and you see your older son coming, and so what do you do for that? You give him the words that he's trying to say. So you say, hi, there's Jason, or whatever your older son's name, or what, you know, if you call him Bubba or Bubby, whatever your little nickname is. You know, here he comes. Hi, hi. And so, again, you are reading and giving your, like, talker credit for that wonderful communicative intent that he's demonstrated to you. He's He's seen something. He knows he's supposed to talk about it. He's pointed or he's looking. He's giving that his full attention. And so you layer that wonderful experience with words. You narrate what he should have said. And, again, you, you wouldn't say something like, oh, my goodness, there's your big brother. I'm so glad he's finally out of school. Now we can get out of here. Aren't you excited to see him? Which is what lots of parents would naturally do. And that's not necessarily terrible. But the problem with that is what? There's nothing in that mom's utterance that she's modeled that her late talker could actually say. So you've got to teach parents to include words that a kid might be able to imitate once they've modeled it. So your keyword there that I just gave that example, you know, hi, there's Jason. Here comes Jason. Hi, 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 Jason, hi. You know, Anybody listening can figure out the key word there, right? <laughs> and most late talkers, if they're developmentally ready, could probably get high or close to it out of their little mouths. Now, if you're very southern like me, you may lapse into hey. And if your kid can do an A better than an I, that's what I would go with. You know, again, kind of this is pretty technical for parents to sort of think about, but for therapists, this is what we live and breathe on. You'll take sounds that are already in a kid's repertoire and come up with words that match that because that technically should be an easier target for them. So think about that too. Talk to parents about those kinds of things. You know, while you're in the car, and at school, these might be some target words that you would say. So let's just sort of run through them. Hi is a good one. And you can say hi or bye-bye to anything. Uh, again, people, so naming people, kids, older kids that your child knows, maybe your, your children's friends that are coming over and that child has some experience with them. But you might even say something like, man, you know, or you probably don't want to go with Dada for every man you see, although lots of children generalize like that. I probably wouldn't recommend that. But, you know, hi, man, or hi, bird, hi, bus, hi, car, hi, tree, hi, sky, you know, whatever familiar objects in your kid's environment that you think he would notice. Today it's raining like cats and dogs here. And so saying, you know, hi, rain, or bye-bye, rain, that kind of thing, that's really, really important. And, again, the, the kid gets a lot of practice with that one key word, you know, hi, bye, whatever those little list of five or six target words that you want to help a parent sort of think about. And here's another thing. If you don't have a clue what a kid's trying to say when he's 
giving a, a word attempt or a word approximation, that's all right too because kids are just practicing. They're not really saying any true words yet, and all babies do this. That's what we call babbling. And toddlers who are not yet talking still have to go through those same developmental phases. Now, it may be shorter because we know in typical language development, babies babble for months and months, four, five, six, seven months before we really begin to hear a lot of real words. Sometimes it's sooner than that. But our kids that are late talkers get stuck. They stay at developmental levels longer than their typically developing counterparts. And so this babbling phase or this practicing phase is super, super important. So you want to help a parent understand that and not get frustrated with that. And they sort of think it's not progress when it is. I mean, they'll say, well, he's trying to talk more, but my goodness, I can't make anything out. I just, he's not using any real words. And you say, oh, my goodness, but guess what he's doing? He's practicing. He's getting ready. He's not been noisy enough to talk. And now he's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And so try to look at all this noise as a fantastic step on his road to talking rather than it, it's not quite as good because it's not a real word that a parent can't make out. All right, that was game number one. Listen, listen, listen. So a parent listens to what a kid is trying to say and repeats it. And, guys, you can do this in therapy sessions too. As you are, especially as you're doing a movement activity, let's just say you're running around the house, you're kind of getting a kid regulated so that you can do some sit-down activities, but you know them, you notice that they're vocalizing and, and making more noise than they were when they're sitting still. And so you do this same kind of game then, a listening game, and you say to a parent, hey, he just said this, can you, and did you see what I did there? I imitated exactly what he said, and I, I tried to reinforce that with him, and then we talked about it, and I'm linking meaning to that, and so you walk a parent through what you're doing, and then you say, and guess what? good all right, second game hinges on the first game is imitate play. So again, this for kids may not be at that word yet, they are making and they are vocalizing. So you talk to parents about never be make that sound copy her. But this time you're not adding a lot of other things to it. About it as Again, here is where you're trying to match child. Same sound, same volume, same frosty, as close as possible. And then you wait. Here's long. Experts tell us that they talk sometimes Before we often for them to imitate, because late talkers often do things and then plan for don't see, but they think about And so think about it this If imitating sounds, producing sounds, don't see for late talkers, the therapist you would not. Because if this were easy for them, the process would have already been And again, the taken hold two are like difficult. And so this day, they important for like talkers to And so you have parents really accentuate that and they copy 
what has that to say. And so, again, the, the piece that's hard for all of us to is how long we have <laughs> while we're getting the sensation to go. So if a kid does sound and then we can say be sure that you talk to parents about not, not it. And I kind of pose, but it's true. It is so hard for me to say something. That I hit. My family would say, We have a problem waiting and not saying anything. And so talk to parents about that and say, Hey, I'm going to imitate him. Wait, wait, wait. We're not just waiting, waiting, expecting. Now, if you're a therapist, I know that you know that we all do. When I teach a lot, of course, I have therapists demonstrate this during the course of always funny because we all do the same thing. Waiting expectantly is like, no, that kid is about to say something. So what do you do? Wait expectantly. Have you analyzed your body there? Usually, you know, just do it right. We all do. <gasps> you know, and what did you do with your body? When you, you heard my voice. We did a little gasp almost. But what do we do? We lean forward. We raise our eyebrows, which widens our eyes. We look at the kid, you know, we have a really anticipatory look on our faces like we're saying and, you know, we're we're saying to them without words, hey, I expect you to say something. I know you're going to do something fantastic there. And so that expectant waiting is so, so important. Now, sometimes we just think that a parent will understand what we're doing with this game just by osmosis, meaning <laughs> it just happens. The parent watches you during therapy and they see you doing your... <gasps> And looking forward, uh, leaning forward and looking at that child face-to-face and really your anticipatory postures. But unless you point that out, a parent may miss it. So you talk about the concept of expectant waiting, and you tell parents, hey, this makes a big, big difference. And you might, I've done this before, you might model a big difference there. You might say, hey, listen, I've been doing expectant waiting, and that's my, I lean forward, and I'm, you know, really smiling at him, and I'm looking for him like, you know, what are you going to say, you know, just with bated breath right there. Say, let's hold back a little bit. Let's see if it makes a difference if I don't do it. And it's funny. Some kids, if they've been in, a ther- in therapy with you for a while, and you've got them going, and you guys are in your groove, they may pop out a lot of responses for you, but a lot of late talkers won't. When you kind of cut back your nonverbal cues, and that's sort of what expectant waiting is, when you cut that out when you're pretty flat and when you're not really tuned into them and really almost, again, just real laissez-faire, you're not really excited, again, you're not actively waiting on that response, they don't respond. And that can be shocking to some parents because they think as a therapist, you know, they just think you are magic (laughs) and that you can get more out of them than anybody, or I hope your parents are saying that. Or, you know, if a parent really has gotten sort of good at it, they instinctively know, or maybe they don't, maybe they don't know, maybe they don't realize all the things that they're doing. And so you point that out to a mom and you say, so if you're having a day where he's not as responsive, where you're not as getting many things from him, look, this might be the only change that you have to make. Just amp up your own affect here. Be a little more animated. Do a little bit better 
you know, ratchet it up a notch with how you're doing your expectant waiting and talk to parents about how they can do that. All right, game number three, we are going to begin a turn-taking game of our own. So in the last game, when we were imitating and waiting, we imitated what the kid did. And we wanted to, the purpose of that is showing him that his imitations are powerful. We are listening to him. We are going to wait on him for that next sound and then to get that turn taking, that back and forth reciprocity going to get that imitation game really going. In this game, it's different because the adult initiates that turn-taking exchange. And don't do it with words, though, unless a kid is already pretty verbal. And a lot of parents like this, is kind of, and a lot of kids like it, too. Once they're talking, that kind of back and forth, you know, the kid says, uh, the mom says a sound, and the kid tries to imitate it or a word, and they might do the ba, 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 you know, back and forth. And that's kind of fun, and that's, you know, what kids do. A lot of times we do it with words. You know, the mother says, you know, mama, say mama, and the kid, the baby says mama, and then mama says mama, and then the kid says mama, you know, all that back and forth. You can do it with words, and if a kid is at that point, oh, my gosh, go for it. That is fantastic. But if he's not, let's back it up a little bit. Let's take something like a sound, and let's go with a play sound, so something that's pretty interesting and pretty novel. So how about fake coughing? So, or or fake sneezing, meaning that you're going to go, ha, 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 and see what kind of reaction you can get. Now, I play that all the time with kids, and I bet you do too. And my favorite way to play this with potato heads in therapy, and I put the potato head hat on my head and sneeze it off, or any kind of hat. That's a fun kind of way to do it. If we're playing baby dolls and the kid's washing the baby's face, I might, with a wipe, I might take the baby and, you know, say, oh, my goodness, listen, you know, and do the little ah, 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 chew. It's a real fun game if you've never done it, you know, and then we wipe, pretend like the baby sneezes and we wipe the baby's nose. That's a lot of fun, especially in the winter when everybody has snotty noses. That's a fun way to do it. <coughs> Excuse me. But otherwise, talk to parents about a sound, kind of a sound effect thing. I'm going to take a drink here. Excuse me. <coughs> a little sound effect game that they can do, so fake coughing, fake sneezing, laughing, you know, just like ha, 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 any kind of silly thing, and tell a parent to listen to what a kid has already done. It may not be, you know, or what they can already do. Panting like a dog. That's one of my favorites. I love it. It never gets old for me <laughs> because so many kids like to do it. But just to imitate or model so that the kid can imitate, get, initiate, that little kind of game. And so you might cough and then briefly check to see if your child is listening and watching and then cough again. And so, you know, this might be if the mom is, they're driving, you know, they're in the SUV and going to pick up the kids and they're in traffic and mom just might cough <coughs> and then wait. And then she can look sort of for feedback in the mirror, whatever she's doing, to see if her kid will do it. <coughs> Goodness, this coughing has become real for me. I'm so sorry. Please excuse me. But she looks to see if her kid's watching. If he's not watching, she should do it again and louder. Anything to sort of get his attention. She might cough and then clear her throat or cough louder again, bigger. So she should try that several times before moving to a new sound. If he imitates that cough, oh, my goodness, victory. <laughs> see how many rounds that she can get before the has to drop out or try new sounds. This is where a lot of kids like playing with their 
sounds or cartridges or any little environmental sounds they they do not. It might be grunting, you know, which is a big one for a lot of our grunters. Uh, for, uh, clicking their tongue, so that's a fun one. Doing raspberries, you know, making hissy noises, or even some like screaming. That's so fun for lots and lots of kids. And again, the point here is what? We're working on just vocalizing perfectly, which we say to parents, coming noise. Kids all have to be noisy, really, really noisy before we can realistically expect them to talk. And then you're also working super, super way for a parent to work. Let's look at this next little set of games. This is actually the second post part series our game process. So the next little thing is, and this is what I said is so important to want to repeat here. The best ideas are always the simplest ideas. And these are so good for parents. Why? Because they're easy. I mean, how many of us try super hard? I mean, we do. But just the whole gist of the day, if we can make these parents much likely that they will try to implement. So music is certainly something that we our kids. If they parents, a lot of times, what do they think? They think that you want them Excuse me. Turn on the radio, or get a CD. Or I think Sirius Radio has some uh, kid stations, the Kid Bop or whatever, kids music stations. And that's okay. That's fine. If the kid likes music, it's calming for him. Or <clears throat> excuse me, I can't believe I'm having so many throat problems today. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Cause I know it's here. All right, so back to that. Music is fine, listening to that. But the very, very best way to use music with a late-talking toddler is by singing yourself. Now, some parents are not as <laughs> inhibitionless as we might be in therapy. Gosh, lots of us, especially those of us who have worked a while, we just don't care anymore <laughs> how we sound. Or we know that it doesn't matter to parents how we sound when we sing, and so even if we are not on tune or on key or even if we do not have a melodic voice, we do it anyway because we know kids like it. We're over all that being embarrassed or shy, and so and I think sometimes the worse you can sing in front of a family, the better because they aren't intimidated. They think, well, my goodness, just look at her. She's trying so hard, as we say in the South, bless her heart. <laughs> and then they feel like, well, I can beat that. And so they really try to one-up you, which is fine. Let them. Let them. And so talk to parents about singing songs. And really, your shyer parents are a little more reserved. And you might say, hey, you may not want to sing in front of me. And that's okay. I get it. Don't be embarrassed in front of me about anything. But if you are, okay. But tell them, listen, when I'm not here, I want you to go it. I want you to really, really sing. The best thing about music is it regulates all of our emotional tone. And so that's why when you are in a terrible mood, you can get in your car, you can listen to a song or put on you know, something, even when you're not far from home. You can listen to a song, and it can instantaneously change how you feel. Now it goes the other way, too. 
You can be in an okay mood and listen to some really sad songs. That's horrible. I do not recommend that. <laughs> but talk to parents about that, how music really regulates kids. It really does kind of take you there emotionally. And it's a great way to calm down a fussy toddler. If you have a kid who's really, really been just completely irritated all day long and for the life of not get them to settle down, music is a super way to do that. So that might be a strategy that you talk to parents about introducing. What kind of music do you think do? Here, though, we're talking about really things that parents can sing. So have them just go through their little list. Say, you know, what kind of songs do you sing? Talk about what you like. What, have you noticed that he has faith? And so talk about things like Wheels on the Bus, Old McDonald, Head Shoulders, Knees and Toes, if you're happy and you know it. Open, shut them. All you know, five little monkeys jumping on the bed. You know, if you're a therapist, you should have at a minimal number of ten to fifteen little songs and games that you play all the time. Guys, that's minimal. I bet if you sat down, most of us who love this job and to do everything we can to make ourselves better and better and better. And again, let me just give you a big pat on the back. If you're a therapist listening to this show. Woo, fire, girl, <laughs> because you're doing something about your career. You are using this driving time or your cleanup time or your workout time to make yourself better and to keep building your own clinical skill set. And so I bet for you, especially you go-getters who are listening to a show on your free time, I bet that you have more than 10 to 15 songs a game. If you don't, you need to get some, <laughs> but I bet you do. And so talk to parents, say, hey, here are my favorites. Here's some that you might not have thought about, and just run through the list and help them come up with new songs. One thing that we want to do, especially when we're talking about target pods, is think about how we can maximize the success of this strategy, and that's using songs that are repetitive and predictable, and parents can, you know, again, those little, like, old McDonald's is so repetitive, you know, with E-I-E-I-O. That sequencing is a little tricky for some of our, like, talking friends. It might take them a little while to get it. But they probably get the empathy part with um, the quack, quack here, quack, quack there, here, quack there, quack everywhere, quack, quack. And if we slow it down much slower than what I just sang there. And if you're a parent listening, boy, do not sing at that fast pace like I just did. Because it's too fast, so slow it way down. But really, really think about using songs that are super, super predictable. I've got a little song listed in this post, and it's also in my book, Teach Me to Play With You. And I do it on, in one of the courses, I think it's in Steps to Building Verbal Limitation Pods, which you can get, if you've seen it live, get it on DVD. But we make variations of songs. We, we take an original song like Old McDonald's, with the theme of animal noises, but then we change it a little bit because we use the tune of another song. That's sort of what I did with this with Amazon Farm. So instead of singing Old MacDonald a lot of the time, I sing this version. Yeah. And again, two wheels on the bus. And you've already heard my throat today, so you know how bad my voice can be so fair. But, you know, cows on the farm say moo, 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 moo. Cows on the farm say moo, 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 all Long. And again, that might have been a little bit faster or more upbeat. Need to be. We need to slow it down a little bit. But what was the key word there? What what was repetitive? What was predictable? 
It was sound, the boo, moo, moo part, right? And what have we done? We've given a kid 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 opportunities to hear our target word and then to be able to jump in there too. And so talk to parents about what they're singing and why they're singing it and then how they can change it. And, you know, they can even do some little closed methods or fill-in-the-blank methods. So after they send ducks on the farm, say, quack, 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 and then see if they're still feeling quack. And, again, it's not going to be as fast or as sexy as I've presented it here as I'm trying to sing it here during our show. But talk to parents about how they can really use that once they've established that song, it really does become a verbal thing. And they can do that expectant waiting and really pause after the kids heard it over and over and over and over. He may be able to join in. Then. Even if he doesn't, it's okay because he's listening to that and he's learning. And so talk to parents about the value of that. All right, the next game is called Copy B. In this game, we are really backing it up a little bit. This may be, if I was looking at my steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers, I would have probably done this one sooner. But it's not as easy for parents to do in the car because they will have to stop. And so parents can do this kind of game when they're waiting. But here, we're doing the same kind of imitation game, but we're not doing it with sound yet, for vocalization yet. We're doing it with action. And we all know from studying that hierarchy of how children learn how to imitate, they'll imitate actions to objects, or in this case, body movement before they begin, oftentimes, even in typical development. Well, I'm not even, boy, we could talk about that theory all day long, but let's go with this. Let's go with this. Action, body movements come before vocalizations if we're looking at a true kind of hierarchy, and that certainly holds true for late talkers. And copying body movements is an important in-between step for lots and lots of late talkers. And I'll just tell you the truth. I use this kind of game everywhere. When I have done little volunteer things at church, when I'm trying to constantly remind myself of what typically developing toddlers really look and sound like, working in that kind of program is really, really good. And so I've done this with everybody. Boy, if I, I haven't seen a kid at daycare or preschool in a long time, but when I, when I was doing those kinds of business all the time, this was one of my mainstays is playing this kind of game. So all you have to do is model an action that a kid can imitate and wait. And again, if you're in a little brick setting, let's say that you have, you're seeing a little friend at daycare and they're waiting on lunch. And you're there with them and you're just kind of hanging out. You're you know, making yourself kind of fold right into what that, that classroom is doing. But everybody's getting kind of restless. Who's not there yet? Say to a teacher, hey, I'm going to teach this little game. Let's watch this game. And just model so a kid can imitate or the whole class can imitate an action that you do. So just start with clapping. So just, I usually put my hands on my lap and I say something like, oh, watch me, watch me. And then clap maybe three times. And then wait, do your expectant waving and say, you do it. So see if kids will kind of join in and after you. And they may not imitate immediately. They have to get it all kind of going as everybody does it together. But then stop after a few seconds and do a new action. It might be putting your arm there. It could be blowing a kiss. It could be uh, waving your arms from side to side. It might be opening and closing your hands. It could be patting 
my app, or I do all the time how I do it at daycare. Everybody pats the tape. So fun. And, again, some of you listening, I think if you're a parent, you may think, this lady has lost her She's recommending that I pat the tape. Try it before you knock it. <laughs> because, again, sometimes these simplest ideas are the best. And so what your goal here is to get a kid to take what you've done. So if you're playing this in the car with your toddler and you're waiting, turn around and you just say, you know, watch mommy and do some clapping and just see if he joins in. If he doesn't join in, reach back there, get his little hands and help him, you know, give him some physical assistance. And then, you know, laugh, say, oh, that's so good. Let's do a new one. And then switch to a new movement. These little imitation games are so, so, so fun. And kids love them. For kids who aren't very vocal yet and who don't do a lot of imitating you on request, you can sneak in sounds. So let's say you've done done several rounds of this. You've clapped. You've held your hands up. You've, you know, patted your head. You've done something like that. So then just sneak in a sound. Then just say, ba ba ba, and see if you can get a kid to try that. You know, and again, you might have to be super, super sneaky so that he's not really thinking, she's trying to trick me into talking. You know, kids don't really have that cognitive ability to try to manipulate that, you like that, but they do instinctively know when they can't do something, something's too hard. Every once in a while, you'll get a kid that you start these little actions with and you just think, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to try this sound. Let's see what he can do. And my goodness, he imitates your sound and you're both shocked and so is mom. So go with it. See if that would really, really work. All right, this last game that we're going to talk about is my very favorite one, and that's what started me really thinking about doing this whole series of posts, certainly putting it in the book, because a mom said, I have a little girl who is trying to say some words in the car, but I want to make it a little bit more focused. And what she's really asking me for, which I sort of read between the lines here, email is, tell me how to structure this, because we're trying, but it's not quite as effective as I know that we can be. So I started thinking about, I, I remember playing this kind of game with a little girl a long time ago, and she liked this, she had this game at home, these little set of matching, it was a matching game, so a little set of cardboard pictures, and she was not great with confrontational naming, no, it wasn't, I, I detest flashcards anyway. But to make this game a little more fun and a little more functional, we would hide cards around the room. And I would say, I see a, and then whatever is on the card. And again, you do that anticipatory setting that up so that the kid gets excited with you and you're using your voice and you're really pausing so you have to capture their attention. And then say, you know, what one of the cards, what would be on one of the cards, and she would find it and go get it, and then when she would bring it back to me, I would say the whole thing, you know, right in front of her, I'm holding up my little card, she's right there, and I would do the whole, ah, ah, and then she would fill in that word. And so super, super way. So I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is, Let's let's see what we can do with this with the car. And so, again, this game is going to be a lot better when you're stopped and when the scenery isn't constantly changing. That would be hard for a toddler to do. 
But really try that and think about all the different things that you can see. And again, the biggest part of this is you setting it up. It's the, the change that the adult makes. The adult really can't, shouldn't do, you know, I see a car, I see a tree, I see rain, I see school. Don't do it like that. You've got to talk to parents about setting it up, using your voice, like I modeled a second ago, and really, really talking about the benefits of that, about being really fun, and again, using your pauses, using your building anticipation there. And you fill it in as a parent. You're setting that up. You're saying, I see a flower or whatever it is and make it just as exciting as you can be. And then you might have to encourage the child to repeat that key word. You might say it you know, several times, flower, flower. You say it, I see a And then you're doing that expectant waiting to see if they can fill in flower right there. Now, you could switch this up. And you could make it a receptive language game too, which is sort of what I did with my little friend that I was telling you about that we played these I Spy cards. You could do it where you're saying, you know, I see a flower. And then you say to your kid, where's the flower? Did you see a flower? Now remember, they're not going to be able to see the same exact visual field that you see when a two-year-old is strapped in a car seat in the back as you, you know, five-five mama in the front seat. But talk to parents about what they can do. Sometimes you can do it in the car with things, you know, I see a cup. You know, if the toddler has a sippy cup right there or his shoe, you know, I see a shoe, whatever. But this is a super, super fun game. I've already had some parents email me back after reading the post and say that was a great idea. I'm trying this with my kid. So introduce this. And remember, you can introduce it in the context of a therapy session too. It's a good game. A parent could even play this like uh, waiting in a doctor's office. They could even do it with books. If a parent, if a kid doesn't really like books, or let's say they do like books, but a parent is just sick and tired of what their little routines are and they want something new, that would be a great little game that you could use with a book. So show a parent how to do it. Talk about what the little variations of that would be, and then... See what they can do. But the whole setting it up, the I see a toddler, I spy is what I call that game. I think it's really, really fun. All right, I wanted to talk about one little thing, one little video. And, boy, I don't know if I've ever talked about anybody else's sort of YouTube videos before on the show. But Disney has a little YouTube video called Do As I'm Doing. It's from Disney Princess Sing-Along Songs. Now, some of you may think, well, Laura, you are really late to the party. I've known about this for a long time. But I've just found out about this in the last eh, month or two. Um, I read it on a blog, and I thought, oh, they have so many cute little songs on here. So Disney Princess Sing-Along Songs. Go to YouTube and look at it. And there's a song called Do As I'm Doing, Follow, Follow Me. And it is really cute with imitating actions. And so it is so catchy. I have just been, you know, it's been my earworm. I've just been singing that. I was even singing it in the kitchen a couple of weeks ago. And Johnny, you know, looks at me and says, what in the world? You know, and shakes his head and walks out. Because <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm singing kid songs. You got to be used to it now, right, after, you know, 30 years of marriage and, you know, doing this job. But anyway, I digress. It's a cute song, though. It's really, really catchy. And if you have a kid who's addicted to screens, 
Boy, you might as well make it therapeutic. And I go off about using apps. I don't think we should be app therapists. And I, I think kids are going to get enough of that. Boy, I don't need to use it during therapy because mom overuses that screen, so why would I want to do that? That's kind of my philosophy. But this is a good one. And you can really get some actions, imitating actions, imitating body movements going with this and the the princess on here and the girl are really cute and they're so animated their little facial expressions so if you've not followed that or seen that before if you're again like me and late to the party uh look at that so disney princess sing-along songs on youtube all right that's all for today i hope that i've given you some new games to play in the car remember that those Activities are all outlined at teachmetotalk.com. You can print those. I hope there's still a way to do PDFs. I'm sort of scrolling through the scrolling through the site right now. I hope that's not. I hope you can print it like that. If not, just copy and paste it. Or even better, send the link to a parent and say, "Hey, here's here are those car games I was talking about. I want you to take a look at this post and let's see what we can come up with for your kid and use it as your launching." pad and if you have a great variation of these kinds of games that you come up with don't keep it to yourself share let me know about it so send me an email and I'll be so happy to give you credit for that and talk about what a great idea you and your brilliant self came up with with uh, using these little games sort of as your launching pad for that all right next week's show is going to be so fun I have a great speech pathologist that I got to meet in person several years ago. She came to a conference of mine, and she emailed me a super question about a little boy who tries to escape, and it started out, their, their session started out real, real fun, and then they sort of hit a rough spot, and so she wants some ideas for that, and so that's next week's show. And so listen, if you have an idea for a show, email me, because I'd love to hear uh, perhaps have you on too, so think about that as well. All right, guys, thanks for listening and have a fantastic week.